Welcome to the Mark Staring Music Podcast. This podcast is an audio journal of my guests and I's adventures throughout the live and local music biz. Fun conversations, cool tunes, and good times will be had. My name is Mark Staring, and I'm a 15-plus year veteran of the Twin Cities, Minnesota Metro music scene. Check me out at Mark Staring, that's S-T-A-R-Y, music.net. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All of my original music is available for download on iTunes, CD Baby, etc. This podcast drops every Tuesday, if not before, on iTunes, SoundCloud, and most other places podcasts are available. If you enjoy it, please subscribe on iTunes. It's totally free and guarantees you'll never miss an episode. If you've got an extra buck or two that you wouldn't mind tossing in the podcast tip jar, please visit patreon.com forward slash Mark Staring Music Podcast. Also consider helping get the word out in the street via social media, five-star rating and review on iTunes, word of mouth, etc. Happy Thought of the Day is by the band XTC. Shakespeare's sonnets leave me cold. The drama stage and the highbrow prose. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. Enjoy! Welcome back to the Mark Sterry Music Podcast, episode 81. Thanks to all the folks who contribute to this podcast on Patreon.com. Coming at you this week on a rainy day here in St. Paul, Minnesota. Just wondering what to do with all these leftover drawings of mine from an art and culinary charity show I did with my buddy and previous podcast guest, Steve Marrow, on Sunday. Anyone looking for a pencil portrait of Grizzly Adams? Anybody? Wednesday, I played a solo show at Pub 42 in New Hope, Minnesota. Nice to see my first guest ever on the Mark Sterry Music Podcast, Brandon Helgeson, at the show. Also, looks like I'm playing Bob and Tiffany's wedding in September. Congrats, guys! Thursday, Brian K. Johnson and myself rocked out at the YZ Bar and Grill, a.k.a. the Muni in YZ Minnesota. Great to see the dynamic duo of Dave and Mark, fresh back from hip surgery, fighting crime, and back in action behind the bar. Friday, played a solo show at Danny's in Stillwater, Minnesota. The busiest night I've ever seen there. Played a two and a half hour first set. Saturday, Brian K. Johnson and myself jammed out at Hacks Pub in Milltown, Wisconsin for Brent Hacker's birthday. Great to play a show back in the 715 Poco, Wisco area. A very memorable evening with celebrity guests from KFAN, Hack, Life Trivia, and almost talked Jimbo into playing Happy Birthday to Hack in the style of the 80s band Jackal with a chainsaw. Upcoming shows. Wednesday, May 3rd, 2017, I'll be playing a solo show at Pub 42 in New Hope, Minnesota from 8 to 10 p.m. Thursday, May 4th, Brian K. Johnson and myself will be rocking out at Lucky's 13 in Burnsville, Minnesota from 4 to 7 p.m. Friday, May 5th, I'll be playing a solo show at Ingredients in White Bear Lake, Minnesota from 6 to 8.30 p.m. Saturday, May 6th, Mr. Brian Keith Johnson and myself will be loading up the old Yukon and rambling on up to Breezy Point, Minnesota to rock out at Commander Bar, a.k.a. JJ's Pub a.k.a. The Vortex, from 5 to 9 p.m. 
is part three of three with nationally charted music producer, composer, and popular Minnesota guitarist Matt Kirkwald. We discuss the beginnings of the band Quiet Drive, recording and producing their hit song Time After Time, Senses Working Overtime, a tribute to the band XTC, etc. Enjoy the conversation. Mr. Matt Kirkwald. Welcome back to the Mark Stare Music Podcast, part three here part with three. Matt. Yep. In his beautiful studio here at Rumble Music. There's guitars everywhere. It's a gorgeous place. We're having a great time. I had no idea that we were both Megadeth Big Marks time. and Slayer, just freaks of these nerds. I mean, yep. I mean, but um it is what it is. Yeah. It's funny because I I wanted to be in a metal band forever. And when as soon as I moved in here in '92, like literally the first week I moved here, I started answering ads and city pages to go and find a band, like a metal band, and it just never worked out. Like the, either the, the the dudes I would meet with were the sketchiest humans I've ever seen in my life, and or they just weren't any good. So after about three months of trying that, I just put it away and and just went to school and studied guitar and said, well, if I'm a good guitar player, I know that I can ever I can work, and that's really the head, the mentality I took for the rest of the. Until recently, actually, like I found the right guys to start a metal band with, called Antiverse, and uh, <laughs> I got to get it in there. But it took me twenty years to find the right guys to make this music with, and now it's just the most fun I've ever had playing. You playing all over? Okay, so Antiverse. Antiverse. Um, are you playing? Is it all original stuff? All originals. Okay, and what would be like, say, <clears throat> three bands that would be the references for like that band? That's a great question. Uh, there's definitely some early thrash, like Megadeth influence to it. Okay. But uh, maybe a band like Emperor would be another one, like uh, some early black metal. And then maybe a band like uh, Carcass or At the Gates, some more wow. Swedish Swedish death metal, the real melodic shit. death metal. your target audience <clears throat> anybody that listens to metal the funny thing is is you know it's it, the, the metal scene is actually around the world is is getting good really good again like it's been it's it hasn't really died anywhere outside of america but around in america it's becoming a thing again and, and in town it's becoming a good thing again and, and so we really try to get it's a really supportive scene like a lot of bands go out and watch other bands play every night and uh there are great labels available but we find a lot of the music that we um sell sells in foreign countries awesome it's man. all over the world literally what's your guys's website or facebook if people want to check you out uh antiverse a-n-t-i-v-e-r-s-c did i say that right uh dot bandcamp or the facebook page uh antiverse uh we'll have a new record coming out here this summer i'm just i'm mixing the record right now and uh it's it's a good record we're trying to find a label to put it out but uh, either way it's going to come out Oh, that's that's totally awesome. Um, well, before I forget too, before we start get going on some other tangent here, mm -hmm. run down some other rabbit hole. Well, how do people get hold of you if they want to hire you for to produce something or play on something or just want to kind of keep in touch with you? Matt at Rumble One dot com. Uh, M e t t at Rumble R u m b l e. The number one dot com is the easiest way. I'm on I'm Matthew Kirkwald on Facebook. There's not many of us. I don't think there are. Maybe one other Matt Kirkwald. 
so I'm pretty easy to find. Okay, um, so I wanted to ask you about this. Um, we have a million different things to talk about, but this will be our final episode <clears throat> with Matt here, and, and Matt's known for doing a lot of producing things and playing with a variety of folks, and a couple big bands he's worked with would be, uh, uh, would be like Rocket Club with Hockey and those guys, mm-hmm. and then uh, Throw the Fight. I know that's a popular you know, rock band, mm-hmm. and um, but I know a, a big thing when I first heard your name, I believe, was uh, from the band Quiet Drive. <laughs> And I know you had a big hit with the with the cover song, uh, mm-hmm. Time After Time. And can you talk about that experience? Uh, it was a wonderful experience, I'll just say that. Uh, it was also a lot of dumb luck. Um, I wasn't that, I don't know if I'm any good now, but I wasn't that good of a producer then. But I, I was uh, very lucky to have a lot of the right people around me at the right time. Like my production partner, James Harley, and I had a company called World Record Productions. And, and we were pretty good. We made good sounding records, and what happened was I met Kevin Truckenmiller from band Quiet Drive very early on in my production. I used to manage Orphan Recording Studios, and really poorly at that. Um, I was an awful studio manager, but I learned how to make records there. Um, And Quiet Drive was one of the bands that came in while I was studio managing. And so we, and they sounded a lot like Incubus and stuff back then. They were very derivative of that, but really talented and worked really hard. That was the, maybe the only band that literally had, I believe their parents drove them there, but they showed up with a business plan on my desk. Like, this is how we're going to raise money. I'm, you know what? I, I'm, I backtracked that. There was actually, there was actually a version of the band called Fury before they were called Quiet Drive. I think that was the band that showed up with the business plan. So they had, they had the, fortitude to raise money for their own record and they were very smart about it they always knew and they wrote good songs so i did the the quiet drive ep which sounded a lot like an incubus ep but it was a great record uh and as soon as we finished that kevin their lead singer uh pulled me aside and said i've got this project that i'm doing with my buddy from college uh it's just acoustic stuff we just want to do an acoustic record and so uh after we finished that ep uh he gave me a CD of just him singing songs, him and his buddy, Matt, Matt Kirby. And, uh, they're great songs, but very different from quiet drive. They're very, very much pop, pop rock, but still good energy. Like there was a good attitude. There It was just great stuff. And I, <clears throat> they didn't have much money, just like nobody has money back then. And, and, uh, so I said, would you be interested in maybe, um, actually doing a few of these songs, like a full band? Well, we don't have a band. It's like, you don't need a band. I'll, I'll make a band happen for you. And they're like, yeah, sure. And I had this terrible little rehearsal space recording studio just over by the uh, Salvation Army here on 10th Street. And uh, all I was doing was playing gigs at night and producing records by day. So I had all the time in the world during the day to make records. And uh, so we started blowing out these acoustic songs into full band songs. So we went, you know Dave Ross, right? I do not. You don't know Dave? Dave's... Dave's a, a great engineer, producer, has a, has had great studios in town forever. Uh, I talked Dave into giving me his studio for next to nothing for a day. I said, um, I want to bring a guy in to play drums. So Dave set me up, and I brought in my friend Walter Powell to play drums. And so he knocked out like nine songs in an afternoon on drums, and I took everything back to my little 200-square-foot rehearsal space that I built a, I built a ISO booth out of cubicle partitions. 
And I laid down all the guitar, I laid down all the bass, all the keyboards, I programmed strings, and Kevin was a great violin player, so he'd start putting strings on too. And then I started recording these guys singing, and the songs are great. And all those songs, pretty much all those songs, are on the Quiet Drive record. So what happened, and this is how it went down, is Quiet Drive existed as a band entirely separate from that record for a long time. They tried to put together a band to play the other songs, they tried to find a new name for the band, because it was very different from the original Quiet Drive stuff. And eventually they all just kind of said, what are we doing? Uh, like they didn't like the name of the band wasn't solidified until we were halfway done with the record. Like we, we weren't sure that's what we were going to call it because it was such a, they were very different projects. So the, the guys in Quiet Drive essentially absorbed those songs that Matt and Kevin wrote. And that's what became the version that we know now. And so um, uh, it was a very interesting process. So, <clears throat> that that record that I did with Kevin and Matt was called Sneaker Two Bombs. So all that, if you find that record, it's pretty rare. <laughs> if you find that record, you hear all the original versions of the songs that I did with them. It's just Matt, Kevin, and I and Walter playing drums. That's it. And then James mixed it. And the funny thing was, it was one of those records, and there haven't been many of them, where it's like every step of the way was a blast. Every step of the way felt inspired. Every step of the way felt like this is this is really cool. This is really fun. And we never really thought of it like, oh my God, this is going to get a record deal. Never even occurred to us. It was like, this is just a great record. And uh, I remember sitting in the studio on the last night of mixing with James mixing and Kevin and his family were there. And and you could really tell that there was something special about that record. Like, it's like, there's good energy here. Like, this is all done for the right reasons. This is, this is all really positive. And, and we did it for next to nothing, especially back then, because it was, you know, I had just enough gear to get by and I got lucky that, you know, we could get Master Mix to mix it for next to nothing back then. And um, <clears throat> the right people picked up on it. Like, oh, you want to hear a funny story? When, one night when I was mixing the, or uh, tracking the first Quiet Drive record before they got their deal, um, uh, I was working and I noticed somebody was sitting behind me in the old Orphan studio. Uh, Will I Am from the Black Eyed Peas was sitting behind me. He just walked into the room and was hanging out and really liked it. And he brought them out to uh, L.A. to do a showcase for, uh, I don't know, I think it was, I think we were really... Are you serious? I'm not, I'm not kidding. Like, uh, that, Will, the Black Eyed Peas were in town, and uh, he was mixing a, a tune with Todd Fitzgerald from um, Orphan Studios back in the day, because Todd was the chief engineer out there, and I was making a record in Studio B. And so Will was in town working with him because he was just passing through on tour, needed a room, and he was mixing a, a tune that he did with Mary J. Blige. And so Will literally is just sitting in the studio like where you are right now, just behind me listening. I didn't know how long he was back there, but he really liked it. Hooked up the band, got them all flown out to California to do a showcase, but nothing happened. Nothing happened. So this was before we even did that initial batch of songs that got them their deal. So there was always good energy around that band. Like they always just had a, something that really worked, you know, it was good songs more than anything. So anyways, uh, fast forward, we uh, ran in, we met a couple people in town, um, <clears throat> uh, Danny Nozell and um, uh, the other guy's going to kill me, I can't remember his name, Dennis Pulowski, who was a music lawyer in town, uh, had a, 
got a hold of that Sneaker Two Bombs record and really, really fell in love with it. And they pushed it really hard. And uh, like Danny is now um, Dolly Parton's personal manager. Jolene, 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 Jolene. I'm begging of you, please don't take my man. Jolene, 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 Jolene. Please don't take him just because you can. Like, huh. he's the guy who handles everything for her, and he's a great guy. And, and Dennis is a great music attorney who handles a lot of great bands uh, like. Um, and the meat puppets and stuff like that. But anyways, they got him a deal. They got him a deal with uh, a, a version of uh, some label on Sony. I can't remember what it was. But um, so we started going through that whole process. Like I just assumed I I lost the record. Like I'm just some, you know, I was, this is like 10 years ago now. I was 32 years old. You know, nobody knows who I am. I, I finally have a real studio over in the WCCO radio building. I built a room. So it was kind of like, it was about this big. It had a bigger performance area, but it was nothing. You know, it cost me 400 bucks a month to rent it. And James and I just put all our gear in there and made great records. But we got really lucky. They gave us the record. They So we got to make our first major label record for them. And we went through that whole process. And, and uh, you know, they had we actually had a budget. We didn't make any money from it because we spent it all on the mix. We had Chris Lord Algae mix it. He got most of the money. Butch Walker produced three songs on it, too. And then who's a great, that's the guy I was talking about in the first episode, Butch Walker, great songwriter, great producer, but I don't like what he did on this record because I'm, you know, for whatever reason, it doesn't matter, but I got to redo one of his songs. So he did two songs. I did the rest and the record came out great. But like that song, uh, time after time, that was a, that was really just a happy accident. It really was. It was, we really didn't want to release the song. I mean, I hope I'm remembering this correctly. So it's been 10 years, but when we did it, We just kind of Kevin had a, a good idea of how he wanted it to go, and we just kind of you know built it from the ground up. But it, it just it was one of those songs, um, kind of like that first record where it was like everything felt good. Like from the moment we did, it, it's like this is really a, a great song, but this is a really good arrangement of it. this. Really feels right. This it felt good the whole way, which um, it doesn't happen a lot. You know, a lot of a lot of times you know you're just kind of slogging it out and hoping for the best and. This one really felt good, and it was a. It felt inspired, and it was really a nice surprise. Um, but I think it's a double-edged sword. I think that song. God, I'm talking a lot. I apologize. It's great. That's what but we're um, do, yeah. but that song I think was a double-edged sword because if you get big for a cover, you sometimes can kind of fade away quicker, I believe. And so I wonder sometimes. It doesn't really do any good to wonder about it, but it's just the thought that I have. It's like because they were a great band. And they made a lot of great records, um, and I didn't work with them after that one. But um, that particular song just felt really good and inspired the whole way. So I don't really, I don't really have any problem with it because I think it's a, a whole record is good. But that song in particular, for some reason, it just felt like it, it, at every step of the way, it just felt inspired. It was really fun. It really felt natural. Like, do you have any thoughts or like memories that stick out? Let's see, even on that particular song, or like what. Like the vocal take, like how many tracks was it or like anything like that or any particulars you guys followed to give it the certain sound that the record label wanted or what the band wanted? Um, any nitty gritty details about being in the studio like? Well, Kevin's a really good singer. And the funny thing is a lot of, I've gotten shit from other producers who say I overtuned the vocals, but that didn't, I didn't really tune them at all. Kevin just sang the shit out of it. He sang really dead on. Uh, so those vocals aren't tuned. Um, 
There's a, a fun little uh, uh, tidbit in the when the chorus repeats at the end of the chorus when they keep saying time after time. There's a weird sound in the middle of it. There was uh, a take I was doing on guitar because I play guitar on it, uh, where I was putting my guitar away, and I kind of like accidentally pick scraped it as I was setting it down, but it sounded really cool. Oh. And so that's the sound underneath the vocal time after time is a is a pick scrape. But I redid it. I like after I after I realized how cool of a sound it was. I like I picked it up, and just did a couple passes of me going, and that's all it is. It's just me with a pick scrape that I cut, and just repeated the rest of the way. But like the whole track itself is, we worked really hard to make sure those guitars were as big as they could be, and just what there's kind a of lot of. What guitars were you playing? I'll show you the guitar. I played one. Oh, e- oh. awesome! <laughs> I actually here's a here's a fun here's a story. Oh, we gotta do the thumbs up photo with that. That is awesome. So this co- this company lasted for three years. They were out of Chanhassen. They were called Mercurio, and uh, a friend of mine, uh, who was their artist rep, uh, Brett Petrusek, got me hooked up and gave me a guitar. From he's like, hey, play the guitar, tell me what you think about it, and uh, and let me know. So it has modular pickup system. They gave me this guitar, and these were like three grand back when they were selling them, and so I they gave me like ten pickups and. And as an experiment, because when we were doing the, that, that song, time after time, um, I didn't think we were going to release it. I really had no clue. And so as an experiment, I used this guitar for that whole song. And I would just switch pickups, and I'd switch amps, you know. But I said, I'm going to use this whole guitar on this track. And they're like, okay, cool. So I did. Every guitar track I laid down was played with this guitar. And I just uh, wrote a review of it and what I liked about it, what I didn't like about it. And, and then uh, I don't know if they ever found out, because I think the company went out uh, went out of business before the song became a hit, and so this is the guitar used on all of it. And uh, that is so cool. Yeah, and uh, it just looks kind of nutty. It's a great guitar, but I, you know, it looks crazy as hell. Kind of telly-ish with a sunburst <clears throat> finish, kind of. And, yeah. and but yeah, I used this because I figured the song would never get released. I was like, let's give it a real go. Let's really try it. And and so I did. And uh, maybe maybe this is the magic guitar. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I've I really, never played it since. I really love it. But it's also, it's kind of a beast. It's so heavy. And uh, I tried to play it on stage a couple times, but it, it about broke my neck. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, and the funny thing was, I was so bummed because I, I actually met the guy who started the company not long ago. Like I met him like two years ago and he says he's got a garage full of these parts and stuff still. And I still use this guitar constantly. But it, where I really screwed up was Brett had gotten me another guitar. Like he's like, there's another one waiting for you here. If you want to come get it, and I was like, okay, and I kind of, kind of waited too long. Like I waited like probably a month after he told me, and I was gonna go get it, and they had already closed the shop. And I was like, oh no, oh, I screwed up, because I love this guitar. But uh, yeah, it's just I I waited too long, and uh, but yeah, this is the guitar I played on all of it. Not that you guys can see it, but well, it'll be on. <clears> we'll take a photo with it for the the gimmick uh, SoundCloud picture we had to put on there. Oh, that's awesome, man. What a great story. How many tracks did you lay down? On that one, probably, like, everything? 60-ish? Six, I mean, just for guitar. Oh, guitar? Oh, 12. 12? Probably about 12. Wow. Like, but I mean, Spectre Hall of Sound kind of thing? Well, of 
I mean, if you, if you divide up all the, the clean tracks, the auxiliary guitar tracks, and the heavy tracks, you know, the heavy tracks alone are going to be at least four. Because I'm gonna I'm gonna do left and right, and then I'm gonna double it with a different tone. With different tone. That's why I was experimenting with this. Like I would do my left right tracks, and then I would swap out the pickup and use a different amp, and I do two more. And then I had to do those intro tracks, and then there's reverse guitar tracks, and then uh, there's these arpeggios where I did um, the Mutt Lang trick, is where you uh, you record each note of the arpeggio. Uh, you don't play the whole arpeggio. You play each note individually, and you space out each note over the stereo field. So, oh my god. So it's like you'll have your regular arpeggio, you know, just kind of playing like oh, that's in tune. But anyway, so you play a regular one like that, but then you do one where you do the and and each one of those notes is somewhere else on the stereo field. So it creates a, a wow. wider image. That's a Mutt Lang gimmick. Yeah. And so I'm sure a lot of dudes use it. That's where I learned it was Def Leppard Records. <clears throat> so yeah, it when you're done, it's like it's really easy to have 12 tracks of guitar. I mean, it's it's not like it's twelve tracks all doing the same thing. It's you know, it's like two massive sets of rhythm guitars, and then it's all the and then brainstorming for like the candy on that and see what fits and whatever. Yeah, we uh, is it? There's all kinds of little stuff like that, and I actually I still have the master tracks. I should go listen to them again someday. But um, so James and I would come up with all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, like for example, like there was a sound Jason or Jason, James used to make. With his voice, he could do this super high-pitched, like, squawk. It's not on that song, but it's on the record. And every time the snare goes by, it goes squawk. And you don't hear it that way. You don't hear, like, oh, there's somebody obviously making a sound with their mouth. It just sounds like an overtone on the snare, but it's really cool. And uh, so there's little examples like that of all of uh, all over the record. I can't remember. It's like it's been over 10 years since I recorded it. Um but yeah, so you do things like that. Like there's keyboards all over that song. I actually did a keyboard solo for the song. Um that you know has that there's that do 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 that the the melt the interlude part of that song. was originally a keyboard solo <clears throat> and uh for some reason i didn't cut it as a guitar solo and so i got a an email from uh chris lord algae the big mixing guy that said and i said oh where's the guitar solo he said there's no guitar solo on this so i had to email him the guitar solo like i literally ran to the studio tracked it and emailed it to him and so what you hear then is actually the guitar and the keyboard solo at the same time. And that has that weird watery, sounds like a Pink Floyd kind of sound. Wow. And so the guitar solo is actually two keyboard tracks and one heavily affected guitar. And so there's little things like that. I don't ever keep track of what they are, which is probably something I should do. But um, you just I just play with those sounds until it fits right. You know, it's yeah. like, And so it was me just sitting with that. Where is my keyboard? Oh, it's in the other room. But I just had to... Uh, this Korg Triton keyboard that was my brother's and I just sat and would play tracks until I got it right. Oh, big reverse piano notes in the beginning of that song. You hear those big swells. That's yeah. a, that's just me hitting a piano note and then I flip it in Pro Tools so it kind of does that weird swell. Yeah. And that's all that is. Wow. When you sent it to the bi the mixing guy and the big record label, were they happy with your studio's raw tracks and stuff? They didn't care, which, is, which means they're happy with it. Um, if they don't say anything then they're probably fine with it. Uh, that, I just didn't want... <clears throat> I just didn't want anything to come back as a problem. Like, uh, 
we ended up redoing one of Butch Walker's songs, which to me shocked the hell out of me because it's like they didn't like how it went. And it's just like, well, you know, that's I take that as high compliment that you're asking me to redo what you entrusted him to do because he made five times the amount of money I made only doing three songs and I had to do eight <laughs> or whatever it was. But anyways, uh, he's an incredible producer. It's just for whatever reason, that song didn't resonate with him. But um, I knew that no news was good news with them. But that actually, they were pretty happy. The mixing guy, Chris Ordalgy, mixes Sony Records. You know, I am literally just a blip on his radar. But uh, the A&R from the label was very happy. The management was very happy. The band was pretty happy. Um, everything went as good as it could be. And I was very proud of that record. It was, um, I mean, looking back on it now, there's things I kind of wince at when I hear it. But it's a good record. I worked hard on it, and uh, I'm glad it did what it did. Wow! Congrats, man. That's a that's just that's just an excellent story, excellent story, um, and that's uh, 2006 when all that is left is you. Yep. Quiet Drive record. Uh, go check it out. That's awesome. Great stories, man. Thank you. I can't wait to go listen to it again afterwards or whatever <laughs> and hear all the little uh, tidbit stuff. You want to talk about that concert real quick that you were telling me about in the end of April here. This will be probably a- airing after that. Yeah. But you do it every year. Just a quick little Give a quick sum. We have a, a we do a, a tribute to XTC, which is a great old band. from England and uh, they, they're kind of a punk band kind of not uh, kind of like the police kind of not but uh, been around forever and for any music nerd they're a they're a good band to get into they have a, a very wide range of sounds and so anyways my point being uh, a lot of my friends and I love this band have loved them for years we threatened to put together a tribute band to do it and we did so five years ago so now we've played this show called Senses Working Overtime uh, five years in a row now first three years at the Ice House, now two years at the Turf Club, every April. And this will be April 29th, Saturday, at the Turf, but I'm sure we're already past that date. And we play two sets of uh, the most uh, obnoxiously hard songs sometimes, but but they don't sound that hard. Um, really, I call it my continuing education class, because whenever I have to relearn this stuff on guitar, it's just kind of a mind fuck. But it's really fun. But anyways, every year has gotten bigger. Every year has gotten better, and it's a, and it's a benefit for the Pay It Forward Fund, uh, which is um, a fund uh, through Methodist Hospital that helps pay for cancer patients' day to day items, day to day things while they're in the middle of treatment. So uh, it's been a, a great charity that we've started doing it for. And, and the night itself is just fun. We have a lot of Minneapolis all-stars come out and sing with us. It's a great core band of like Noah Levy, Billy Thomas, Tom or uh, Paul Boblet, Chris Beatty, Ken Chastain, uh, Pete Sands on keys, and all these great guys. We're the core band. We do all the heavy lifting, and then we bring out the all-stars to come sing with us. And uh, it gets bigger and better every year. It's really fun. Oh, that sounds so interesting. And if you weren't there, you missed out. <laughs> Check them out next time. Matt Kirkwald, what a fun afternoon. Thank you so much for being on the Mark Steri Music Podcast. I hope to meet up in BSC again sometime, Let's man. Do it. What a what a really good time. Uh, 
Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. Hope you've enjoyed the program. We'll see you back here for new podcasts about life and times in the live and local music scene each and every Tuesday, if not before, on iTunes, SoundCloud, and most other places podcasts are available. This is a listener-supported podcast, so if you'd like to get on board, please visit patreon.com forward slash Mark Sterry Music Podcast. If you enjoyed some of the musical edits on the show, please head on over to your local record store or do some digging on iTunes and load up on some new songs. Also, if you get a chance, please go check out some live music somewhere. It could be a great and worthwhile experience. Life is short. Go have some fun. Till next time. Drum beats out of time